You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. How many of you vote? We just have that song sung every Sunday. Oh, we just do that. Let's just make a church vote right now. That would be great. I don't know how, that's the song that like, I don't think I can sing or I could sing in church without, a, without crying. And, and I can't cry and sing at the same time, so that wouldn't be good. So I'm glad Brother Delgado's singing it, not me. But to love that song so much, and uh, it's just so great. I want you to take your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. Now, there's two types of people here today, most likely. There are those of you, one group of people who would say, Christmas is over, tear it all down and burn it. It was over, you know, 1201 on, you know, the 26th. The other group of people here probably feels like Christmas is never over, leave up the tree until February. Now, I don't know which group you fall in. I remember my wife and I, we lived in some apartments in, uh, in La Palma when we first moved to Long Beach back in 2006. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I remember that we would, we would see, you know, there was like a big courtyard area right in the middle. And so when you walked into where your apartment was, you could see, you know, the fronts of every other apartment. And there was one specific apartment that it just seemed like the two years we were there, both years they had that Christmas tree up well past Valentine's Day. It was going into March, and they still had the Christmas tree up. Maybe they just felt like, you know, hey, we like the lights. It's a beautiful decoration, or whatever. I don't know. Or they just, maybe it was a year-long thing, year-round, whatever. But uh, I say all that because I still have one message left about Christmas, but it's not really about Christmas. So you'll see that. We've looked at, excuse me, we've looked at uh, Christmas in Genesis, and you saw the seed promised uh, in Genesis 3:15 it talked about that in Psalms we saw the sacrifice promised that Jesus would come and die for our sins in Isaiah we saw the son promised unto you a son is given and then in Matthew we saw the savior presented <laughs> and uh, and so we're looking at revelation today remember that the the message in the old testament over and over again, was Jesus is coming. All these prophecies about the Messiah, everything was saying that Jesus is coming. Then in Matthew, we saw not is Jesus coming, Jesus has come. And now we're in Revelation. And we're going to look at Revelation, and this is where the Savior returns. And now it's not Jesus is coming, it's not Jesus has come, it's Jesus is coming again. And so today is Christmas through Revelation, or in Revelation, the Savior returns. The Savior presented in Matthew, now we're looking at the Savior returns. And the next week, we'll be starting something new, and again, I'm I'm really excited about our theme. I think it's going to fit us perfectly, we're going to need it, and it'll be something to focus on for this year. And, uh, and, And again, the whole thing about Christmas, the first Advent, when Jesus first came, That's what we celebrate at Christmas. His second advent, the second time he comes, will be the the beginning of the conclusion of the entire Christmas story, why he came 
in the first place. So let's pray together, and then we're going to read the book of Revelation, not in its entirety, just the Revelation 19. Father, bless, I pray, these next few moments we have uh, in church together. I pray that you would use this message. I pray that it would be a blessing to your people. Lord, I pray, as usual, that I would not get into your way. I, I would not say things I shouldn't say. I'd be sensitive to your leading today. And I pray that we'd all have a focus upon Christ today and what you'd have for us from the scripture. Thank you for a great service. Thank you, as was just sung, thank you for being so good. And uh, we love you. Pray that you bless our service in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Revelation 19, <coughs> look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is Jesus. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, armies in heaven, huh? The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I've ridden a horse about one time in my life, maybe twice. I think I've ridden an elephant, actually, at a fair one time when I was a kid. But I can't imagine what it's going to be like coming back with Christ, riding a white horse, coming back when he returns to earth. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is, of course, getting towards uh, the end of what we would know as time. There's still yet to be after this. There's still a thousand-year period after that. Uh, the millennial reign, which we can see in chapter 20, <coughs> comes after this. But this is Jesus's second coming to earth at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, when he comes and he's fighting at the Battle of Armageddon and we're, we as saints are coming with him, it's really not much of a battle. He speaks and it's over. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight in your life and you've gotten ready to, to throw some punches and if you just spoke and the first person falls down dead. Now that, that would be some power. This is Christ coming to earth. And what I love so much about this is that, and, and part of me, you know, there, there's this two split sides of me of, of, you know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. But, but then the other part of me says that justice needs to come. That the God, that Jesus comes and it says and judges in, in righteousness. Righteousness and doth he judge and make war. <clears throat> so you can judge and make war in righteousness if you're Christ. And as he comes to do that, every person that's still alive upon earth and every atheist that, that, that spent their life trying to, to disprove Christ and spent their life trying to hurt Christians and, and all the people that persecuted uh, the Jewish nation and all the people that hated God and that spewed all these things about, an, a, about a, a weak God that we have and this effeminate figure of Christ, they are going to open open their eyes one day and every eye will see Jesus Christ. Every eye shall see those eyes that are burning as a flame of fire. Every eye shall watch 
Every person shall tremble as Christ comes back to judge and make war. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit, but but we need to make a few things clear about the second coming before we get into the the thoughts here that I want to leave with you. The, The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ are not the same thing. So when we often talk about that any moment Christ could come and take us away and all the Christians of the earth are gone, that is called the the rapture. Now that word rapture is not in the Bible, but certainly the teaching of it is, the snatching away, the the gathering up. In, in, uh, In Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, it talks about the churches. In chapter 4, it talks about uh, the scene of now everyone's in heaven, and after that, the church is not talked about anymore. Why? Because on earth... The church is not there. They're in heaven with Christ. Yes, people can get saved during the tribulation. Certain people, some are blinded because of their already rejection of Christ. But there will be people born that get saved, I believe, during the, during the tribulation. And, and we'll, there, there's more to that, but we're not getting into that right now. But during that time, the, the, the rapture is when Christ comes, but he comes in the air. Remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and and we'll meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the rapture is the next event on God's calendar uh, of of, of the big uh, things of eschatology or end times teaching. Is that Jesus will come in the air, the trump will sound, and all of the Christians in the twinkling of an eye, we're with him. And it could be any day, it could be any moment, it could be right now. All right, it didn't happen. But it could have been, all right? But, uh, you know, um, at any moment that could happen. Listen, nothing else prophetically needs to happen that I can see before Christ returns. It it could be, it, it literally could be any day. We're not waiting on anything else. He could come today. We know that, and I know you've heard that. If you've been in church, you've heard that for years, and, but it, 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 it still is true today as it was 30 years ago. He could come today. He's not waiting on anything. He's waiting on God, who is long-suffering, to say, go get him. That's the rapture. He comes in the air for his saints. We're gone. The second coming is seven years later. See, after the rapture, there is that tribulation period where everybody left upon earth suffers. That, see, see, God has been merciful. Don't say God's you know, the vengeful God of the Old Testament. No, God has been merciful. And he has been good, and he has been storing up the wrath of all the times that we say, well, why doesn't God do this? And, and you know, we see these people stand up and mock God. Why doesn't God just squash them? Because he's merciful, and he's long-suffering. But what's going to happen is during that seven-year period, God is going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. The justice that has been due to this earth for a long time is coming. And I'm so glad The Bible says we are delivered from that wrath. We won't be here. I'm so glad that we won't see the tribulation from this viewpoint. We'll see it from this viewpoint. I'm so glad that that, that we won't be here. But after that seven-year period in the Antichrist and all of that, at the end of that seven-year period, Revelation 19 happens. Jesus comes back. And he's coming back not for his saints in the sky. He's coming back with his saints. We come back with him, and now he's on earth, and he's going to rule and reign on earth with a rod of iron for a thousand years. That doesn't mean he's whopping people over the head, but he's ruling and reigning on earth for a thousand years. Now, there's some things about the thousand years that blow my mind we're not talking about today. There's a lot more to the prophecy here. 
But for our message today, this is what we're seeing, that Christ coming back with his saints. Since we're coming uh, full circle in our study of Christmas and, and Christmas through Scripture, notice... Uh, let me just give you just a couple of things, how, how Jesus came the first time versus how he's going to come the second time. When Jesus came the first time, the first Christmas 2,000 years ago, he came humbly in a lowly manger. When he comes again the second time, he's coming in power and glory with his armies of heaven. When he came the first time, he came as the suffering servant when he comes the second time, he'll come as the conquering king. When he came the first time, only a few saw him. When he comes the second time, every eye will see him. When he came the first time, only a few came and bowed before him in worship. When he comes the second time, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess and worship that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first time he came, he wore a crown of thorns but the second time he comes, he's wearing crowns of triumph. So the first coming of Christ is quite different than the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ is a joyful truth for saved people, but it is a dreadful truth for lost people. The first time he came, he came to save the world from their sins. The second time he comes, he's coming to judge the world for its sins. His wrath will be poured out. And as we're talking about this today and, and looking at, at the end of this plan that God had of Christ coming to earth, dying for our sins, come, uh, uh, raising, ascending to heaven, waiting an allotted amount of time, and now he's coming back. As we see all that and, and, and Christmas the coming full circle, this could be the year of the rapture, but 2023 cannot be the year of the second coming. Because again, there's that seven-year period in between the two. Knowing that these things are coming soon, the question I have is how should we be living? How should we be living in 2023? Knowing that maybe the second coming is not happening this year, but the rapture could. And we could be gone. And, and, and the church could be in heaven with God any day. What is, how should we be living? And that's the question Peter asks. And I want you to take your Bible, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Go back a few books, 2 Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to take, this is another passage of scripture speaking about the return of Christ. The, not the rapture, but the second coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter number 3. We're going to look at some scripture here this morning and, and take some thoughts out of this passage. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 4. And, and this is talking about scoffers in the last days saying and, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So people that may be saying that to us today, oh yeah, he's been coming for, for uh, 80 years now. Every preacher could be today. All these prophets saying, oh yeah, we know for sure he's coming this day. For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water during creation, when he's using the waters and there was, 
and he gathered the waters together. Now there's, water, there's earth in the water, earth out of the water. And, uh, and whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. They're talking about Noah's day. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word, just as, they were, uh, just as God made the heavens by his word, just as by his word the floods came, and, and now he's saying by his same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is not constrained by time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men can't count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. <clears throat> but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, everything on this earth that we hold dear, that isn't heavenly, that isn't going to heaven with us, seeing then that, that one day God is going to destroy, the, we're talking about global warming, God's going to destroy and burn up this earth. It's been sin-cursed, but he's got another one that he's made. And so when that new heaven and new earth come, but before that, this uh, heaven and earth will burn up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Here's the question. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening, hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, last verse we're going to read, Beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Since this could be the year that Christ comes back for the church and it's raptured, how should we live? I read a story about a retired NASA engineer by the name of Edgar C. Wisenant in 1988. This retired NASA engineer wrote a book entitled... 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. <clears throat> 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. He self-published this book, and he said in that book that the rapture, no doubt, will happen between September 11th and September 13th, 1988. I'm going to spoil the book for you. He was wrong. It was a massive bestseller. I was four years old at the time. I don't remember the book, but it was a massive bestseller. In one year, 4.5 million copies sold. In one year of this book. And uh, he said this. He said, only if the Bible is an error am I wrong. Couldn't be that he was wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. I would stake my life on Rosh Hashanah 1988. Well, guess what? He was wrong. How do you know that? Because we're still here, all right? And he was still here the next year as well. So if he was supposedly saved, then he was wrong. But you know what was interesting about that? He wrote that book in 1988 that Jesus was going to come in 1988. Well, he didn't come. 
So in 1989, Edgar Wisenant wrote another book. And, he, and it was about how Jesus is for sure coming in 1989. And then he didn't come. And so he wrote another book that in 1992, or 1993, Jesus for sure is coming. I know, I got confused about that one and that one, but I am right on this one. And then he didn't come. And so in 1994, Edgar Wisenant wrote a book. Can you guess what it was about? Why he's a false prophet, right? No, he wrote about how he knew Jesus was going to come back. You notice, by the way, every book that he sold, just less and less sold of each book. I wonder why. The point is, nobody knows. Some of you probably remember 10 years ago, it was 10 or 12 years ago, that, uh, uh, what was his name, Harold Camping, uh, this, this person on the radio just knew that Jesus was coming. I think it was 2012 or 2011 or something like that. And, and he just, and, and I mean, there's people that sold belongings. There, we, we knew some people that, uh, uh, some kids were in school, and they sold belongings. They sold their house. They were ready for Jesus to come back because a guy on the radio told them that he had seen some signs in Scripture and, and some prophecy. Guess what? He was wrong. Nobody knows when he's coming back. God knows. That's it. In fact, Jesus, the Bible has said, and of course Jesus knows all things, but he can choose not to know things. And it, the Bible even says that no man knoweth, not even the Son, but God the Father knows. And so God is going to send Christ when it's time. But the, the, the text that we're in asks a very good question. Since we know what's going to happen, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And so I want to give you from this text, just very quickly, because the majority of my time was spent on introduction, I want to show you just very quickly four things that we see. Now, I know a good Baptist preacher only has three, but I'm giving you a bonus, okay? This is an extra one today because it's the first of the year, all right? I want you to notice, first of all, long-suffering. Look at verse 9. I want you to notice long-suffering. <clears throat> I'm not saying that we need long-suffering, although we do, but notice What's talked about here, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not going to forget. He's not going to fall back on his promise. Oh, yeah, I made that promise. No, he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But God, but the Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is only God's mercy and patience that has kept him from destroying this earth. He's giving people space to repent. He's giving people space to come to him and ask for salvation. The word long-suffering means forbearing or patient. That's the word that we're talking about here. When we, and I said this uh, a couple weeks ago, I think. The word patience in the Bible would be our word for endurance. But the word long-suffering is talking about God's patience, his forbearing. He's giving people time and opportunity to repent. What does that mean for us? Because God is long-suffering and seeing that we know these things are coming, we ought to be warning as many people as we can. Warning as many people as we can while there is still time. Hold your place here quickly. Go to 2nd. We're coming right back to 2nd Peter. Go to 2nd Thessalonians. Go back several books. 2nd Thessalonians chapter number 1, please. 2nd Thessalonians chapter number 1. And listen to another passage here that's talking about when God is executing vengeance 
Second uh, Thessalonians chapter, <clears throat> chapter number one, verses seven through ten. And to you who are troubled, rest, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8 now, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they had a chance. And they said, no. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. It is hard to imagine anything being everlasting, but it is hard, very hard to imagine everlasting dying, everlasting destruction. That does not mean annihilation. That does not mean that when people die without Christ, there's coming a day where God just snuffs them out and they cease to exist. No, the soul is eternal. The soul will be somewhere forever, and there are only two options. But it says in verse 9 that they should be punished with everlasting destruction, never-ending. You realize that Judas Iscariot is no more closer getting out of hell than he was when he got in? Do you realize that people that we know that have died without Christ are no more closer getting out of hell than when they got in? Because it's everlasting. Just as eternal life in heaven is everlasting, eternal destruction for those who have rejected Christ is everlasting. When When you're in hell for a million years, You're no closer to getting out than when you got in. It's continuous. And I think the worst part of hell is found in this verse, where it says that they'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. You and I have never known that experience because God's presence is on earth. The Holy Spirit is here. But we've never experienced what it is to be somewhere where God isn't, and the abiding presence of God is not there, and they will be punished away from God for all of eternity, and away from the glory of his power. Think about what we know of God, and what we have seen God do, and and what we've heard about God doing, and, and looking at the stars. Think about the glory of his, they'll never know that again. That is hell, let alone the fire let alone uh, the wicked company and all the things that's there, but being away from God. I think going into 2023, knowing that Jesus could come back today for us, boy, I think one thing we ought to do is make sure we're witnessing and warning as many people as we can. We need to get back to good old-fashioned soul winning. We need to get back to good old-fashioned witnessing. Get back to good old-fashioned telling others about Christ. You don't have to be a used car salesman. You don't have to be a great speaker. You just have to be faithful to do it. You just have to warn. And we try to make it very easy. This is a new suit. I don't have tracks in my pocket yet. But uh, uh, I always put tracks in my suit coat pocket. I don't have it. But uh, you pull out a track and you hand it to someone and it's got the gospel on it right there. That's a great way, a great uh, way of just sharing the gospel with people. But we ought to be warning as many as we can since we know, since we know that, that these things are coming. 
Boy, in 2023, let's get busy telling people about Christ. I'm so glad that someone shared it with me. I'm so glad that someone shared it with you. But boy, it ought not end there. This week, um, <clears throat> many of you may know this already, but uh, we've had, uh, for ever since I have been here, we've had a man that sleeps outside of our church. His name's Tony, and he sleeps over here by the Spanish chapel. This week, um, he passed away. We, um, <clears throat> I, wa- I got a call from Nancy, and, uh, and Nancy and Esther were here. I was off this last week, and I, I was coming through the church because the police were here, and I came walking through, and, uh, and I walked right past the, the lobby of the, of the chapel, and there he was just laying right there. And uh, <clears throat> for years and years and years and years. And uh, he has been there. He's been, he's been kind. He's been clean, cleaned up after himself. I talked to the officer. It doesn't look like foul, uh, doesn't look like foul play. It doesn't look like violence of any kind. It looked like it was just some natural causes. You know, the guy walked barefoot in Long Beach for 20 years, you know. Who knows what the guy had. But, but I, I know that for years and years and years, the people of this church gave him clothing, gave him food, invited him to church, invited him to come in during, during when we had a potlucks for years and years and years. I'm thankful for that. But boy, it struck my heart so hard this week thinking that how sad it would be to die and go to hell living outside of a church building. And I don't know. I don't know if he was saved or not. I have no, I have no idea. But boy, I tell you, it just makes me think. And I, you know, just seeing, out them every day, seeing him out there literally every day and you think, well, he'll be there tomorrow because he was there yesterday. And he'll be there. And we don't know when we will not be here. We don't know when that coworker that sits next to us won't be there anymore. We don't know when that, the last opportunity to see that neighbor before they have a heart attack and die. And what I'm saying is, boy, we better do our job. And, 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 I don't, I don't, and I don't care what your motivation is. Maybe it doesn't motivate you to think about hell. Maybe the motivation for you is to think, boy, I don't want to have to stand before God and answer. I don't know. But, but thinking about people going to this place, boy, it should cause us to give some attention to soul winning. That's what I see in 2023 we ought to be doing. I see the long suffering of God and how he's holding it back to say as many people as can get saved, let's get them saved before the punishment comes. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see the second thing here. The second thing is living. I see long suffering, but I see living. Look, if you would, at verse number 11, 2 Peter 3, 11, and I'll go quickly through these last few here. I want to get you out on time today. The Bible says in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved... What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, the word conversation there is not, you know, having a talk with somebody. In the Bible, the word conversation is the word behavior or conduct. So, uh, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy behavior and conduct and godliness? What's he saying? He's saying, because we know Christ is coming, we ought to be living a holy, godly life. Because we know that he's coming back, and it could be today, we ought to be living a holy and godly life. You know, when we talk about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, there are many. But we never say it like this. We sung, uh, Brother Delgado sang about God's goodness. We never say God is good, good, good. 
We never say God is kind, kind, kind. We don't say God is gracious, gracious, gracious. The Bible doesn't even say God is merciful, 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 or God has justice, justice, justice. But the Bible does say that God is holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. He's got angels around the Bible, talks about in Revelation chapter 4, at all times saying holy, holy, holy. That is the overriding characteristic of God. The attribute is his holiness. And you know what he says to us in the book of 1 Peter? Be ye holy, for I am holy. We've forgotten about holiness in 2022. We've forgotten about holiness in our day and age. John Brown, an old Scottish preacher in the 1800s, said, Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. And I think, you know, so, so often, what, what has happened to holiness? What has happened to separation? And we're afraid to talk about, and now in, our, in today's churches, we're afraid to talk about holiness, that we should not be like the world, that we should not be, uh, we, we should be like Christ and, and not like what the world is putting out. We're afraid to talk about living a separated holy life anymore. Christians live in incognito and live in fear that someone may actually recognize that they're different. Someone may actually recognize that they're, they're a Christian. And that ought not to be that way. God says, not if you think about it, if you want to be holy, be holy. He says, be ye holy. Be separated. Be sanctified. Be set apart. Don't be like this world. You're different. We ought to be looking in this next year of, of deciding, hey, what manner of person should I be in holy living and a godly life? And everything that isn't holy, let's get it out. Everything that isn't godly, let's remove it. Because Christ could come back today. I think it's time we detox ourselves from the world in 2023. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Look at the next thing here. It says, though, verse number 12 says, looking. Looking. That's the third thing I want to show you this morning. Not long-suffering, not just, not just long-suffering of God and, and how we ought to be witnessing and, and living, but now he says looking. Verse 12, <clears throat> looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, with the elements shall melt with, and elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So in verse 12, when he says, looking for the coming of the day of God, that means to await anxiously. It means expectation. It means anticipation, saying, God, would you please come back today? And then he says there, and hasting unto, uh, anxiously desiring, looking forward to it so much that we, would, that we would speed it up if we could. Saying, God, if it were possible at all for me to help you get here quicker, let's do that. That's the attitude that we ought to have of saying, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We want you to come today, Lord. That's the attitude. When Jesus said that we ought to pray, remember the Lord's prayer? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> I wonder today, do you look forward to his return? Do you look forward to Christ coming back? I think a lot of times we Christians live in fear of Christ's return, but it is a glorious thing for us. It is a glorious thing for Christ to come back. 
for, for the rapture to happen. It's a glorious thing when he's going to come back the second time with his saints. That is a glorious thing. I remember as a kid, I, I, when I was a, a young kid, I remember looking forward to dad coming home. And, uh, you, you know, uh, he, we were in Arkansas, that's where I was born, and I remember, you know, hearing the garage door or whatever, knowing dad's coming home. Yeah, I'm excited, dad's coming. Unless, unless mom had said to me at some point during that day, I'm telling your dad when he gets home. Now, if she said that to me, I was not looking forward to dad coming home. But otherwise, I was like, yeah, dad's coming home, that's great. But during the day, if I was messing up, you just wait till your dad gets home. Because what that means is that my mom was no pushover, okay? My mom it was not at all of any kind of pushover. I got my fair share of paddlings and spankings from my mother. I did, absolutely. So you knew, you knew that if it was bad enough to involve dad, boy, your punishment was severe. You'd be hanging outside by your toes all night. You were going, no, I'm just kidding. You were going to get it when dad got home. I don't, the Christians ought not think of it in that way. Oh, he's coming back. What does that mean? Maybe that means you ought to get your life in order. Maybe that means you, you ought to start living right if it's like, oh no, it could be today. Maybe we ought to, it, ought, it ought to be in a Christian's eyes and maturity. The Bible says in 1 John that perfect love casteth out fear. In other words, when you, the more you grow in your love for Christ, the more it should be like, yes, come back today, Jesus, please. And so if there's a fear, hey, let's identify, is that just some immature Christian faith that, that, that needs growth? Or is that something saying, hey, I know I'm not living right and I'm afraid to see him. And if it is, hey, then let's get that right. Let's live right. Let's look forward to his return. Because for Christians, he's coming with rewards. He's coming with, uh, to, to, to take us to heaven, judgment seat of Christ, a place of rewards. But the Bible says, hey, since we know he's coming back, let's warn people. It says, we know he's coming back, let's live right. Let's look forward to it. The, the, what great hope you have, and I, my life's miserable, and I'm going through this, and, and it's so difficult. But guess what? It won't always be that way. Jesus is coming. And then lastly, I want you to see verse 15 through 18. Learning. What should we be doing? We should, we should be looking. We should be living. We should be telling others. We should be learning. Look at verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation... Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things. <coughs> so Peter says that, that Paul's told you about this too, in which some things are hard to be understood. You ever read Paul and be like, what is he talking about? Yeah, Peter was that way too. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of, of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. What's Peter saying? He's saying, look, you know better. We've been teaching you some things and you've been learning and growing. Don't be led away with false doctrines. 
Don't be led away and don't fail of the grace of God. Don't, don't fail from, uh, from, and fall from where you're supposed to be. Just stay with it and keep growing and keep knowing God. We need to know God. We need to know the Bible. And I think 2023, if one of the goals you could have is to know Christ more, and if you want to know Christ more, it means you need to know the Word more. Get into the Word of God. Verse 18, grow in grace. As we look back at 2022, did, did you grow? Did you grow? Do you know more about the Word now than you did last year? Are you living differently now? And, and that's the real test of, of whether or not you have grown is have you taken what you have learned from the Bible and done something with it? Have you grown this last year? And, it, it, and I want to encourage you, get to know the Lord this year. What are your plans? Everybody's got New Year's resolutions. My, my, one of my kids yesterday said, said, Dad, what's your New Year's revolution? I was like, we're revolting, you know, but uh, I'm ready. We're going to overthrow some leadership in California. No, I'm kidding. But um, uh, everybody's got a New Year's resolution of some kind, probably, or a goal. You may not, you may not like the word resolution. Maybe it's goal or whatever. What are your plans for knowing God better this year? I'm going to lose that final how many pounds, and I'm going to read this many books, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. What about how are you going to know God better in 2023? The thing is, if you're going to not be ignorant, you're going to know, like, the, like these verses are talking about, your cup's got to be empty. When you come to church, you ought to be saying, Lord, fill it up. When you open the Bible, it's not, oh, I've read this before. No, it's, Lord, fill it up. When you go to Sunday school, and you ought to go to Sunday school, you, you, you open, you, you have, you say, Lord, fill my cup. It's prayer time. Lord, fill my cup. I'm going to empty my cup. I'm going to pour out my heart to you, but fill it back up. Lord, fill it up. Give me wisdom and understanding. Come to God like a child. That's what he likes when you come humbly. Reminds me of the little girl that was asking her mom too many questions. And uh, kids can ask a lot of questions sometimes. And, and so this little girl kept asking her mom question after question after question. And the mom said, okay, that's enough. Stop asking questions. Curiosity killed the cat. The little girl thought for a couple minutes and said, what did the cat want to know? We need to come to God with a spirit of, I want to know, Lord. I want to grow. I want to be better. I know this was a, 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 when you're talking about revelation, it's not always, you know, just the flowery messages. No, there's some hard truth there. We need to hear it. And I wonder today, since we know Jesus is coming back, are we warning others? 2023, let's do more than we ever have. Are we living as we ought to live, knowing that Jesus could come back today for, for, uh, in the rapture? Are we living the way we ought to, are we living in holiness and separation and godliness? Are we looking forward to Christ's return? Or is there a reason we're not? And then lastly, are we learning and are we growing? Just some thoughts I wanted to give you as we, as we glance ahead at 2023 and realizing that the Savior could return any moment. I think these are some things that we should be focused in on. Our Father, I thank you so much for the promises of Scripture. I thank you for the Word of God. And I pray that today, Lord, as we, as we looked at Scripture in three different passages and as we uh, talked about different things we need to be doing, Lord, I pray that you would prick our hearts about what we need to be doing. God, may we not be backslidden this year. May we get on track. May we live the way we ought to live. May we witness. 
May we be a holy, holy people. Lord, may we 